The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Protests rock cities across America. Demonstrators clash with police. Hundreds are arrested. Curfews are imposed and the National Guard is called in as rallies turn violent in multiple capitals. Walmart, Target and Apple are among the retailers which are forced to close stores due to the unrest while Amazon reduces deliveries as big business leaders condemn racism and injustice in the country. The markets apparently shrugging off the turmoil in the United States. The Hang Seng leads Asia higher, capping a strong month for Asian markets. This as President Trump removes Hong Kong's special status, but doesn't reignite the trade war with China. Here in the UK, the government defends its decision to ease lockdown restrictions as primary schools and more shops open today, whilst the track and trace system uh, is uh, beginning to be put in place. Ready for takeoff, Lufthansa agrees to revise conditions for its 9 billion euro bailout plan, excepting to lose a number of runway slots at key German airports. Protests have erupted across the U.S. again over the death of George Floyd. The 48-year-old was killed while being arrested in Minneapolis on Memorial Day. His death has sparked rallies and unrest in at least a dozen American cities. Some peaceful rallies turned violent over the weekend, leading to the arrest of several hundred people. At least 40 cities have imposed curfews to help stem the violence. The National Guard was also mobilised in several states in efforts to keep the peace as protesters clashed with law enforcement. NBC's Jay Gray filed this report from Minneapolis and just a warning does contain some disturbing images. Another night of angry crowds and chaos across the country. Tens of thousands gathering throughout the day from Los Angeles through New York. Most of the marches calm and controlled. Protesters demanding justice and change. It's so moving. It's so inspiring um, to really exercise our First Amendment and do so in a peaceful, you know, powerful way. Honoring the memory of George Floyd, who died with a Minnesota police officer's knee across his neck. How long can you be peaceful when your people are dying? Still, in most every city, it seems, there are groups that aren't interested in keeping the peace. Buildings, cars, and police cruisers torched, windows shattered, businesses looted and trashed. Police literally pushing back. One officer pulling the mask off a protester and spraying mace. Two patrolmen in Atlanta fired after pulling two college students from their car. And this tanker barreling into a crowd on this Minneapolis highway, somehow no one seriously injured police rushing in and arresting the driver. I think the incident just underscores um, still the volatile situation we have out there. A situation that has the country on edge. Jay Gray, NBC News, Minneapolis.
President Trump was taken into a secure bunker on Friday night as demonstrators gathered outside the White House. The U.S. leader stayed mostly silent over the weekend, but blamed an extremist group for the violence, declaring the anti-fascist group Antifa a terrorist organization. Radical left criminals, thugs and others, all throughout our country and throughout the world, will not be allowed to set communities ablaze. We won't let it happen. It harms those who have the least. And we will be protecting those who have the least. The leadership of the National Guard and the Department of Justice are now in close communication with state and city officials in Minnesota. And we're coordinating our efforts with local law enforcement all across our nation. In America, justice is never achieved at the hands of an angry mob. I will not allow angry mobs to dominate. Won't happen. Amazon shut several of its Whole Foods stores across the country over the weekend as it complied with curfews in several major U.S. cities. The e-commerce giant also adjusted the closing times in multiple locations in a bid to ensure employees could get home safely. The tech company also halted and modified deliveries, citing safety concerns for its teams. Apple left many of its stores closed on Sunday due to the ongoing unrest, citing the health and safety of its workers. The iPhone maker still has around half of its 271 stores in the U.S. shut down due to the coronavirus. Meanwhile, CEO Tim Cook has addressed the death of George Floyd in a company-wide memo. Cook said there was deeply rooted discrimination within the criminal justice system and called for the creation of a better, more just world for everyone. Target has announced that it's temporarily closing 175 of its stores due to the ongoing protests. It comes after the Minneapolis-based company said several of its outlets had been targeted by demonstrators. Well, protests are continuing in several cities overnight. It is uh, just gone 10 o'clock in the evening on Sunday night and you're looking at uh, live pictures in Santa Monica in California. That's the local time there and clearly you can see that firefighters are on the scene battling a blaze. We saw a number of blazes across the United States over the weekend after the result of protesting, riots, looting. And uh, clearly these uh, pictures coming through suggesting it's still been another night. Very difficult conditions for emergency services. Let's get to Peter Trubowitz, who is Professor of International Relations and Director of the U.S. Centre, the LSC. Peter, just extraordinary scenes over the weekend and very fast-moving developments. And we wrapped up the weekend, uh, the week talking about Hong Kong, the response of the United States versus China over protests that were taking place there and the, the status of Hong Kong and its uh, trading relationship with the United States. Over the weekend, there we saw huge demonstrations around a domestic issue, the killing of Floyd. Just tell us what this means in context when there's so many different events playing out and also coronavirus for the United States to still try and combat at this point. Well, I mean, I, it, this is just an unprecedented situation in the United States. I mean, you've got a health, economic and social crisis, uh, three crises going on at the same time. And it. You know, I, I think as your your question suggests, it, it has essentially transformed this event and the protests um, that have followed have transformed the national conversation in the United States, which is truly saying something. I mean, given that 
you know, the United States is still in the grips of a pandemic that's killed over 100,000 people and it's thrown nearly 40 million Americans out of work. Um, and I think what the what the killing really did is it, it brought long simmering tensions over race to a boil. The president's poorly chosen words about looting and shooting and setting vicious dogs on protesters has just inflamed the situation. And, uh, you know, I mean, stories like uh, the G7 and what's happening in Hong Kong, I mean, the story of Hong Kong, which would normally be front and center in the United States, you can't find it on the, on the front page of a newspaper right now in the U.S. Peter, the social situation is appalling, clearly. But the markets, as you know, will be trying to look through this and trying to figure out what ultimately it means for President Trump's chances for re-election and whether there's a, a sort of Nixon 68 type bump that he gets here on a law and order agenda. Or does Biden step in as the man who can begin to heal American society? What's your assessment? You broke up a little bit, Jeff, there, but I think I get the basic gist of the question is what's the impact of all this going to be on the uh, on the presidential election? I, I mean, I think, you know, what I fear, first of all, is this is just going to polarize and fray uh, an already divided America. My sense is that what it will do, given the critical role that African-American voters play in the Democratic Party, it is going to pull Biden uh, further to the left um, and and force him to talk about issues that might otherwise not have been central to his campaign. I mean, black Americans are already saying not being Trump is not enough. They want him to address racial injustice, police brutality. Meanwhile, I think, as, as I heard at the top of your question, Trump is going to is, is sure to seize on the violence he already is that we see in, in the cities in America's cities to make law and order kind of reference to 1968, really the 1969 uh, Richard Nixon campaign, uh, a central theme of his campaign, I think, to rally his base and, and to try to mobilize those white voters who worry more about mass unrest than police brutality. But I can tell you there's a, a debate going on within the administration right now, within that is among his key White House staff about just how to play this, because there are a lot of white suburban voters that are appalled by, uh, they are assuming, by Trump's early tweets, and they want to tone it down. And so there's, a, I think there's a, there's a tension, but I think Trump's go-to position is law and order, and that's what I expect will be the position. It will, be, it will become a central theme in the campaign. Peter, very good morning to you. Why do the Democrats think that they can handle this situation any better than the Republicans? Let's go back into very recent history under the Obama administration. The whole Black Lives Matter um, movement came in the Obama administration from 2012-2013. Shootings of black teenagers in 2012 and then again in 2014. Uh, and then we had the, the Ferguson riots as well. Why do the Democrats think that potentially uh, they have a, an elevated position on this? This one rather than what the Trump reaction is? I, I think that the Democrats, I mean, I think somebody like Biden and, and people that um, 
are looking to Biden as the as the you know potent, the the Democratic candidate would not expect Biden to pour gasoline on the on the situation, and I think that that is what many, including I should say here, many in the Republican Party who are speaking out have found Trump's tweets on this to be completely unhelpful, counterproductive, and and problematic. And so, you know, I think kind of minimally. They would expect this of a Democratic leader and most Republican leaders as well, it should be said. I mean, you know, if you go back and you look at at previous crises, whether it was the Oklahoma bombing or the September 11th attack, the president's role is to bind wounds, is to try to heal the nation, is to try to elevate the conversation above partner partisanship and to chart a path forward. And I think um, Democrat, Republican, in most circumstances, that's what would be happening right now. I'm not saying on both sides, a Democrat and a Republican would be forced to try to put down the violence, to try to bring some order to the situation in these, in 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 the cities. But at the same time, there would be a kind of rhetorical stance and a position that's quite different. Peter, we very much appreciate your time this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Peter Trubowitz, Professor of International Relations and Director of the U.S. Center, the LSE. For live updates on protests taking place across the United States, you can head online to cnbc.com. The European Union has urged President Trump to reconsider his decision to cut ties with the World Health Organization. On Friday, the U.S. president said the WHO's response to the coronavirus pandemic was inadequate and accused the organization of being under China's control. Over the weekend, European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen and the High Representative for the EU, Joseph Borrell, released a joint statement backing the WHO to continue leading the global response to the pandemic, adding that actions to weaken the organisation must be avoided. President Trump has announced he is postponing the G7 summit that the U.S. was expected to hold next month until September or later. The president also said he hopes to expand the list of invitations to include Australia, Russia, South Korea and India, branding the current G7 a, quote, very outdated group of countries that don't properly represent what's going on in the world. Coming up on this show, Chinese factory activity rises in May, but concerns remain over demand and the world's second largest economy. We'll have the details after the break. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, The Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. Here's a look at some of the live images coming through from Phoenix, Arizona, one of many American cities that has continued to see social unrest overnight. What we have had uh, curfews that have been imposed earlier in the evening, about 8 o'clock, but it's uh, gone 10 o'clock in the evening, so you can see people still out on the streets and the emergency response is taking place on the ground. It's the fourth night of protests. Uh, Some of the protesters had gathered in the downtown Phoenix area 
what involved, uh, of course, uh, the police brutality being one of the main issues. And it was the police station early in the evening that had been the centre of the focus for many of those protesters. We will continue to bring you live shots throughout the morning as the situation unfolds. To the Asian markets, uh, let's see how the trade is unfolding across the session. It is a very strong trading day in contrast to what you'd expect. Uh, the images uh, broadcast over news channels over the weekend would suggest a chaotic situation unfolding in the United States. Tensions internationally between the United States and China of WHO's response to the coronavirus pandemic. Yet you are seeing very strong bounce across these markets, particularly for China and for Hong Kong. Investors responding to the reopening still of economies and an official business survey in China today suggesting factory activity grew at a slower pace in May, but that there was some momentum in services and construction with the reopening. So investors using that theme and buying up stocks at this stage, more modest for the Japanese stock market, but still very strong gains splashing up across the boards. Chinese state media has hit back at U.S. threats over Beijing's new laws in Hong Kong, saying the move will, quote, not bring China down. President Trump has vowed to curb Hong Kong's special customs and travel status and impose new sanctions on unnamed individuals. The tensions come as fresh anti-government protests are expected to break out in the city in coming weeks. Well, let's get into the data as China's factory activity unexpectedly returned to growth in May as an easing of strict lockdown measures helped offset weak demand. The closely watched occasion manufacturing PMI rose to 50.7 during the period that was ahead of forecasts and up from 49.4 in April. Well, Sam, we weathered some very weak PMIs, but this number back above 50, a little bit more normal. What investors are used to seeing across the boards? Good morning to you, Karen. Well, that data is certainly driving investor sentiment over on the mainland markets today. We've seen the Shanghai Composite this afternoon up to over 2%. The Shenzhen Composite, meanwhile, surging over 3%. And that came after the official manufacturing PMI also came in at 50.6 for the month of May, a slightly slower pace than April's 50.8. But this Taishin survey, which focuses on the smaller and private manufacturers, um, was said to be in the highest level since January. And it's really um, the expansion is being driven by this increase in production. So as companies get back to work, but also as factories come back online after a sluggish few months and perhaps perhaps dealing with a number of um, a backlog of orders. Um, but we really do need to look behind and beyond the headline numbers. So the survey has cautioned that demand remains weak, and particularly in terms of export orders. And official data shows that export orders actually contracted for the fifth month in a row in May, coming in at 35.3, so well below that 50 mark. And that really does highlight the difficulties that China is having um, as it tries to get back on its feet. Um, and the pandemic really um, does take a heavy toll on global demand. And manufacturers in China have really been struggling to try to get those overseas orders, which have either been reduced or just um, completely cancelled. So with that, uh, economists are, are expecting perhaps to see uh, migrant workers shifting their work from the factories um, that perhaps 
have closed down and moving into things like logistics and caterings. And that is because we're seeing some pretty encouraging signs coming out of the official data around the non-manufacturing sector, which picked up momentum in May. And that sort of suggests that uh, consumer confidence is slowly starting to get back. So the services sector, which generates a lot of jobs, um, expanded in May. And officials are saying that that really has a lot to do with the consumer policy measures um, that have been introduced to try to spur consumption. We've also seen the construction industry, as you mentioned, pick up in the month of May. That may be contributing a little bit to the new orders that we've seen uh, a spike in. And so economists are expecting there to be more dependence on the domestic market moving forward in the short term. But look, it isn't all rosy. Um, We have seen business activities in the cultural, sport and entertainment sectors still remaining relatively sluggish. And that perhaps um, does suggest that people are slightly um, reluctant to be going outside um, and you know, participating in those large group gatherings. Back to you. Sam, thank you very much. I want to run investors through what we're seeing on the markets. It's been a stellar month of uh, May and what we've had uh, new levels on the likes of the Dow, 25,000 we've reclaimed. The size of the bounce, 4.2%. We're now roughly about 14% off the all-time highs that we've had. For the S&P 500, 3,000 reclaimed. Very strong rally on the tech-heavy Nasdaq, more than uh, 6 odd percent, so outpacing the S&P and the Dow and the levels. Uh, very close to that 9 1,500 level. But across the board, those bang stocks really contributing to the extent of the bounce that you saw on the Nasdaq. Let's just contrast with that uh, picture to the European one. And you will notice that a couple of these markets also played in the rally, particularly the DAX. The gains across the board, mostly in the 2 to 3% range for the FTSE, for the French market and for Italian stocks. But uh, the gains in the German stock market eclipsing those levels for the month of May and really keeping pace with the US tech-heavy Nasdaq. So very strong performance from those German export stocks. Here's a look at how U.S. futures are now shaping up for the session after what was a mixed day Friday. You can see a little bit of green on the boards in contrast to uh, the scenes we were witnessing over the weekend around the protests uh, around the killing of George Floyd. The problem here is what it may mean for the directional trade for investors, whether we do see a slowing in the reopening of economies already, some of the major retailers pulling back on some of those plans because of curfews. So we will watch the events very closely. But this is how a couple of the key sectors shaped up in the month of May. The financials, strong month towards the end of the trading month. You may recall that Jamie Dimon from JP Morgan was talking about the fortunes of his own bank stock, saying it was a pretty good, pretty good valuation so at the very low levels it had been trading. So that caused a bounce in JP Morgan's stock, but also the rest of the banks. The size of the gains, 2.4%. <clears throat> Let's move on to healthcare. Obviously, a huge focus on treatments and vaccines. Healthcare stocks also rallying the extent of the change, 3.1%. Tech stocks, you can see uh, the extent of those gains, 6.8%. So well and truly outpacing the rest of these stocks. Jeff, Steve, I know you've both closely been watching what's played on the markets, but to me, the technology gains happened, as you saw. These particular companies all accelerate their plans. So the likes of Facebook, for instance, unveiled shops, new e-commerce site. Amazon was debating whether it gets into the the business of self-driving cars to push forward with its autonomous deliveries. So it felt as though technology had a fairly good month in contrast to just a recovery trade for the rest of the markets, Jeff. 
Yeah, I think it's it's been interesting in recent weeks how we've seen perhaps the breadth of the market improving here, which raises, again, more interesting questions about why money is being tempted to go back to work in equities at this stage. And it is, um, it seems to me, the Jekyll and Hyde nature of the new information that we continue to get day to day here. So the Federal Reserve is in the market. It is involved in buying high yield. There is this view that the ECB this week will step in and increase its purchasing to one and a quarter trillion euros. And that information seems to be more important at the moment to traders and uh, investors, if there are investors in this market, than the fact that we're going to have uh, a horrible payroll number yet again on Friday that will no doubt nudge the unemployment number up close to 20% here. So for, for my mind, the market is choosing to seize one set of data over another. We don't have a vaccine yet. Uh, China printed, um, what, 16 new COVID-19 cases. That's the highest they've seen in three weeks. It shows us we're going to have pockets of cases continuing here. And even as this is happening, we've got rioting in America. We've got uh, a dispute over Hong Kong and further um, uh, pressure in the relationship uh, with China. Weak economic data on the export side out of Korea, out of Japan and out of China, notwithstanding um, that Kaishin number. So there are a lot of reasons to be sceptical, but obviously the market is choosing to focus on the liquidity at this point, it seems, Steve. Yeah, Jeff, I, I would say the market isn't being a bullion. I would say the market isn't being um, in its death throes of concern. I'd say it's actually being incredibly pragmatic across the board. And everywhere I look, and I take Karen's point about technology, and clearly technology stocks ha ha have skewed the overall look of many of these indices because they have rallied so hard because this has fed in many ways into their sweet spot, i.e. not having to be physically in a certain location. But when you look at something, for instance, like the FTSE 100, it is one and a half thousand points off its high of the year a thousand and a half points so the best part of 30 percent off its high it's also a thousand points off its low so it's decided that the worst uh, was perhaps too bad but actually we're nowhere near the kind of levels of abundance we were at the start of the year then you look at something like the oil price which of course as we know um, famously was in hugely negative territory on that wti expiry over a month ago but is now back at 35 bucks well the high of the year is pretty much double where we are now so it's saying look we still know there are enormous problems out there, still way too much supply as those OPEX come in from today as well. But actually, we think the worst case scenario has been averted. And yes, I take your point, Jeff, about the 16 uh, new mortalities uh, in China as well. But by and large, the trend seems to be uh, getting more positive, reaching some form of peak in many economies as well, easing lockdowns, opening up. Even in the UK, we've seen uh, one of the lowest death rates in the last 24 hours that we've seen since the start of the lockdown. So I I actually think the markets are being stunningly pragmatic. And I ask our viewers and both of you the question now, if you had money to place on the market, if you had a quarter of a million pound, half a million pound, a million dollars to put onto the market or to leave in cash, would you leave it all in cash? And I think the answer would probably be no. 
Uh, Steve, I want to pull out that word trend that you use because I think that's fascinating. What we've seen emerge in recent weeks has been effectively new trends. And every 10 years or so, we see new companies take leadership on stock market indices. It feels as though coronavirus and events around uh, social unrest and tensions, trade tensions, have been the catalyst for new trends on markets. And the FTSE, you mentioned that a moment ago, what you're now seeing this week, you expect to see the biggest shakeup in about four years in terms of leadership. Uh, a couple of stocks, EasyJet and Carnival, the airline space and uh, cruise shipping industry very much hit, as we know, because of the travel restrictions. Those two stocks, EasyJet and Carnival, expected to drop out of the FTSE 100 this week to fall on the FTSE 250. Other companies expected to, to maybe find their way into the index, and that's a technology name, Avasta. You've seen more tech names in recent times take a place of leadership in some of the indices, particularly in the United States. HomeServe, GVC, uh, Convertech might be the names that also move into the index at the expense of uh, some of the other major stocks. So I think that's just worth noting that investors at this point are having to really go through their portfolios to see what are going to be the winners for the next decade. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.